What's going on, everybody? It's your boy Spencer with another episode of Delivering Sports. It's been on a very long hiatus, but uh, we are here now. I was hoping to do like a preview before every round in the playoffs. I only got through, I think, the first two. But since the playoffs are over and we're a little bit of a lull for sports in general, I thought, you know, we'll just look back and do it. I'm doing this live on Twitter in case anyone wants to pop in. But normally, most of my audience is on the podcasting platform. So obviously, it will be posted there. And uh, today I'm joined by a host, or I don't know, it's on a hiatus. I, I really do hope it comes back. But Brad Restituto, who uh, we did the Rest Stop podcast for like 88 episodes, I think it was. Yeah, almost uh, 11 months, I feel like. Yeah, finished in July and we started uh, 2020 in uh, middle of August. Yeah, so we did it for a really long time and, uh, you know, some conf- conflict of uh, scheduling issues. But we, you know, found some time to get together today to talk about the playoffs because we didn't really get to talk about it too much in general. And I really wanted to. We're not going to go over every playoff series because that would just take forever. There's too many playoff series. And honestly, not all of them were too interesting. They're pretty expected. But I do think there were some really big narratives here which will also tie into some off-season issues. And I think the best place to start is the Dallas Mavericks. And, uh, you know, you know, Luka Doncic looked like he had his coming out party to a certain extent. Uh, you know, they take a big 2-0 series lead going back into home. You feel like the series is over. I didn't expect it. I thought the Clippers would find a way to get back in the series, but <laughs> they really came back in the series and they won the whole thing. Really unexpected. Uh, it's never happened before, actually, the way that uh, you know, they to never win a home game basically is what the Clippers did. And uh, yeah, they made it until the last game, of course, in game seven, because they had home court advantage. That was the first time that ever happened. And the kind of Dallas Mavericks melted down from there. Like they're on the verge of, you know, going into stardom and to breaking down the entire team. I mean, that's a very thin line to me, but it happened. Yes, Spence. Uh, if you recall game three, when the Mavericks were up two nothing in Staples Center, the Mavericks had a, a first quarter lead, I believe, 15, 16 points. So they looked like they were going to take complete control of the series at that point. Uh, and the Clippers fought back hard in that game three. And, and I remember our discussion before game three on the rest stop, you talked about a lot of value in the Clippers the rest of the series and possibly uh, to go to the finals. Now, of course, the Kawhi Leonard injury put a, a halt to that plan. Uh, but the Clippers uh, played great down the stretch in that series. Ty Lu coached well, made some good adjustments. You got some key contributions for some role players and, and pretty heartbreaking for the Mavericks. You, you felt like um, I, I personally felt like Luca maybe had his coming out party in the playoffs in the bubble in Orlando. He had some incredible game winning shots that were unexpected and played fantastic and, and pushed a Clippers team that had Kawhi and Paul George, I believe, to six games last year. Uh, so to see them take that step this year, go up to nothing on the on the Clippers team again, I certainly felt like they they had it in hand and they couldn't quite close the door. And, and you can point to many factors why that didn't happen. Certainly everybody, including Luca, the, the phenomenal superstar, has to look in the mirror and, and find ways to get better and to make their teammates better. So definitely disappointing for Dallas. At this point, they made a coaching change. Rick Carlisle, who wasn't unemployed very long, he, he caught the, the brunt of that. Uh, kind of unsuccess for Dallas and Jason Kidd, former Maverick, uh, won a championship as the point guard for that team, now takes over as the head coach. So we'll see uh, how that synergy works with a, a former player, a more recent former player, and the superstar, Luka Doncic. And what do they do with with Kristaps Porzingis? Do they try to make it work with him and, and Luka? Uh, the, certainly, you, you have to kind of wonder if 
Kristaps can stay healthy for a full season. And a lot of people are saying, we don't think at this point, this guy is a number two anymore. He's kind of a role player. So we'll see what Dallas does in this offseason to try to maybe make a splash. Do they go after one of the big names? Do they try to get their name in the trade market? Can they trade Luca's, uh, not Luca, Kristaps? contract or do they try to make it work with him uh spence i know personally you're not the, the biggest fan of all of the role players on dallas i don't think that you believe the way they're currently constructed that they can compete for a western conference championship uh, you may be right but i do like some players on there but they're certainly going to have to make some other moves and we'll see if jason kidd who is the the hot kind of a hot name going into the coaching searches this offseason we certainly heard him in conversations with portland and damian lillard we well, gets a shot now with dallas and uh, he had some success when he was the head coach at milwaukee now this milwaukee squad who i believe he did coach middleton and Giannis, maybe he set the foundation some would say in milwaukee we'll see what he does here in dallas with uh, an emerging superstar in luka Doncic. yeah so one of the big storylines after the finals were over was if you did a redraft who would you take number one in the draft and obviously Luca and Giannis's name were one and two for the most part. So you got to think of age, right? Uh, at that point, like LeBron probably wouldn't be the number one pick in that draft because he want more success over time. So would you rather have Luka Doncic or Giannis? And the only reason I would say you would not consider Luka or like an argument against it is because of the kind of environment that he has now laid out for himself. He's such a, how old is he? Like 24, 25 years not old. I think he's maybe 21. Yeah. 22. Like 22 years old. And he's already saying who can stay and who can go. It's like Mark Cuban is already laying down to him, which you want to do to a certain extent, because like your whole franchise and billions of dollars kind of riding on his name being on your team. But Giannis certainly has not done that, and he took them all the way to the finals. Like he was really humble during that entire stretch, and I don't know. Like it kind of does worry me. Like to take like LeBron has found success doing that, but he's also laid like destruction and waste in his path on his way from jumping from team to team. The Cleveland Cavaliers are now like the worst team in the league. The Miami Heat, you know, made it to the finals, obviously, but they weren't. It was kind of fluky at that point, especially in the bubble. They look like they're really down the path now. So if Luca leaves the team, it's not going to be a good situation for them eventually. Not that he won't in the, in the near future. I'm sure they'll have him for at least the next four years because of his rookie contract and the way those extensions work. But would you rather have Giannis or Luca in an NBA redraft and you're picking number one overall? Yeah, Spence, you're on to something here. Can you think of, of a superstar player and even your lifetime that could possibly be more of a model citizen on and off the court than Giannis Antetokounmpo. I mean, a guy that uh, has had zero off the field uh, incidences at all, even talking something that's uh, a scuffle in the locker room or disagreement with coaches. You've heard nothing of the sort from this guy. A guy that's been uh, steadfast in his commitment to Milwaukee, to this organization and trying to bring a championship there. Uh, and on the court, the guy just continues to try to improve his game and elevate his teammates. I mean, he certainly, for me, Spence, raised his stock tremendously during these playoffs. I questioned Milwaukee more than anybody, and I questioned Giannis the whole way because I was not convinced that he was going to be able to get the free throw shooting right and his shot selection in threes, and I thought it was so close with a lot of these good teams that if you made key mistakes down the stretch – like that, it could cost you. And you saw in these finals, these were two and three possession games down the stretch. Each game could have went differently either way. So Giannis adjusted those uh, things. He didn't 
take bad shots in the finals. He took a couple, but certainly not as many as he did in previous rounds. And we saw what he did in the closeout game, seven of 19 from the free throw line. Uh, me and you talked about the statistics of that probability, and it was off the charts. Uh, so Giannis did exactly what would have been asked from me or from anybody else and probably from himself to tailor his game to a championship level. And he absolutely did that uh, against the Phoenix Suns. So to answer your question, and it's, you know, what have you done for me lately? What Giannis did and currently holding uh, the only team in the NBA that can hold this each year, the NBA champion, and it's completely to do with how Giannis carry them. So that being said, I'm going to go with Giannis and he's won me over during this playoff series. Yeah, probably me too. And, uh, you know, Luca will obviously be, you know, pretty successful. <laughs> like Absolutely. there's no doubt that he's not going to be like number two or number three in that redraft, but it did raise some questions for me that he's already cleared out his entire front office. And maybe that's the direction you need to go in for a new face. I'm not sure. But uh, one team that definitely doesn't have the small market excuse anymore, seeing that Milwaukee just won this championship, is Portland. Mm. They were looking like they wanted to go really far in this year's playoffs. They made the trade for Norman Powell, which I actually really liked for them. And then they lose to an injured Denver team, which was not what they were planning on doing. They blew some really, really big leads, like 16-point, 20-point leads, I'm pretty sure, in two of those games. And, you know, Damian Lillard obviously raising some questions about whether or not he'll stay there or not. What were your impressions for Portland in this year's playoffs? And what do you think is the right decision for them to do moving forward? It's interesting, Spence. You try to analyze each team. And, and if you look at professional sports, a lot of times it's copycat leagues. They try to copy the trends of the champion and see how they can mimic that to take their team to the next level. With the Portland Trailblazers, you look at them on paper and even on the court, and you've got dynamic scoring with C.J. McCollum, Dame Lillard, uh, Nurk Gyochi, um He's a good player. You, you've seen this guy uh, be successful, but but clearly he's not quite on the level of, of a Nikola Jokic or a Giannis. Um, so you, you say to yourself, what is Portland lacking where they can't get over the hump? It's not scoring. It's got to be defense. So when you look at somebody like Giannis, who affects the game, uh, impacts it so much offensively and defensively, and you, you can move guys around and, and get stops. You added Drew Holiday on Milwaukee. So when you, you look at their defensive prowess in Milwaukee and how that was so important to them winning the title and propelling them to the finals, you have to look at Portland and say it starts with defense. So who can you add on that team with length, with size, somebody that can protect the rim and that can contest shots? So it's it's got to start with Chauncey Billups, the head coach, teaching a culture of defense first. I know that sounds strange when you have two great scorers in Portland, um, but it's not the offense that has a problem with getting them over the hump. We see what Lillard's capable of. He can score at will on anybody. Uh, maybe it's getting them easier buckets so they have more energy on defense. So if that means Dane Lillard attracting more guys uh, on the defensive end as far as when he's on offense and then him distributing the ball and trying to get easier baskets for Portland, and that may mean more baskets inside the three-point arc which Milwaukee, again, was great at, and so was Phoenix, two teams that represented in the finals this year. So maybe some teams look at adjusting their philosophy as, as opposed to uh, this run-and-gun three-point analytics model of playing and realize that maybe we need more energy on the defensive end, and in order to do that, we need more easy baskets offensively. Yeah, he, here's the reality of the situation, at least for me, in that they don't um... – have the team to play defense like there's just nothing they can do about it It doesn't matter you know who their coach is to me 
look, if you look at each of their players individually, Damian Lillard is good, obviously. <laughs> CJ McCollum is good, obviously. Uh, you know, you talk about Nurkic, he's good. Uh, Norman Powell is good. And you can just keep going down the list. All their role players are even good, too. Got some really good young guys. But none of them are defensive players. Like, they're just not modeled that way, which is a huge problem to me. They're going to have to make some trades to make this happen. They need someone like a Kuminga from this year's draft. Not that they'd be able to trade up. Maybe if they do, if they trade Nurkic. But they're going to have to downgrade their talent to upgrade their defense. And that's just the way that most teams work. I mean, very rarely, I would say an exception, and this is actually a wrong exception, would be the Golden State Warriors. They were a great three-point defensive team. Like, Clay Thompson, as good as he was on offense, was great on defense. And then you had Andrew Bogut before Kevin Durant. And then even when Kevin Durant was there, Kevin Durant's a pretty good defender, and then Clay Thompson was too. So you can't just make it happen offensively. Teams like that just don't work. And Milwaukee was a great example of what a great defensive team can do to win a finals. So I, I don't know what kind of trades are going to have to make to happen, but it's very strange to me to see that Damian Lillard kind of has one foot like out the door and one foot in the door where it would be better for the team if he just took a stance to me. I don't think you can make any team work with any super max deal. Like it was just a horrible decision by the league to make that an even a possibility because they end up paying their star players too much. And also all star players end up getting the super max deal when all of them don't deserve it, but because it's available, they kind of demand it. I don't think Damian Lillard is a super max deal, which is crazy to say out loud, but he doesn't impact the ball enough defensively to make that deal happen. And even Steph Curry, you can say like, is part of that. Once he signed a super max deal, they won all those championships because he was on really, really like favorable money. Like that's how they were able to make those teams happen. And when you have that much money tied into one player, it's just too hard to make it to, you know, change your roster enough to put superstars in there because you need a complete team in today's NBA to make like the Michael Jordan, Scottie Pippen days, even though I'm if you look down the roster, I'm sure there's a lot of good players like Scottie Pippen's deal gave them flexibility to sign better role players like all of those things really do matter when it comes to winning a championship. So. If it was up to me, I would trade Damian Lillard. I'd trade Siege of a column, Nurkic, and just all those guys you could build an entirely new franchise around and wait for the smoke to blow over because once the Brooklyn Nets are done and the Lakers, then the league's wide open. You would expect Giannis to start dominating, but I I don't think Milwaukee's unbeatable. Like if Brooklyn was healthy, they probably would have lost that series. Now it's hard to say that, you know, in retrospect, because they did end up beating them, but they had one and a half of their players. So I think once that kind of guard of the NBA is gone, the LeBrons and such, you can, if you, you know, take the steps to do it now, which I think a team like Memphis is doing really well, then you're primed because you can see that the league is really starting to change. Uh, we'll see what ends up happening with Portland. I'm not sure. I don't expect anything too good from them next year. I don't think the coaching change was what they needed to, to uh, you know, make their team work. I think Terry Stotts is a good coach, and I think he could be a coach that can win you a championship. I know a lot of people disagree with that. On to an Eastern team here is uh, the New York Knicks. They had a really good regular season, a great regular season, especially at the end. But it kind of uh, took an expected churn at the end because Tom Thibodeau's teams are known or notorious for, uh, you know, playing too hard in the regular season and being too gassed to, you know, go deep into the playoffs. And that's exactly what happened here. It happened for numerous reasons. Like they were they're such a young team, obviously. But they should have been in the Atlanta series, I think, a lot more. And they felt like they got outplayed and outcoached almost every game of that series outside of the first two games. Look, the Knicks are 
quite the interesting story of this year, probably the story of this season to get one of the most storied franchises in NBA history back in the playoff discussion. Uh, Definitely hats off to Tom Thibodeau for making that happen. Uh, As far as the playoffs go, the, the Knicks were great in the regular season, but they just don't have enough offensively at this point Uh, to get them over the hump and possibly win a playoff series or two. They certainly have to retool this offseason, and Thibodeau's got to bring in a a couple knockdown shooters and and find another scorer to complement Julius Randle. Julius Randle was getting double and triple teamed in the playoffs, and he just was not able to make enough plays happen to get the Knicks over the hump. So the Knicks have a nice little foundation. Certainly, in my opinion, that starts with Coach Thibodeau because nobody would have guessed in their wildest imagination that the Knicks would have been able to be in the four or five game uh, coming into last season. So um, I like the foundation he set there. Now, what can they do in the draft and what moves can they make uh, to make this roster better and complement Julius Randle? Do you want to build around Julius Randle or is Julius Randle more of a number two guy? Uh, That's an interesting question. He's first team all NBA. He's an all-star. Um, Derek Rose was a hell of a compliment to that team. I, I certainly think you maybe keep him around another year or two in the role coming out off as a six man. Got a couple of other nice young guys. We'll see uh, how Toppin fits into that mix. And uh, the other guy uh, at the center position that I believe was hurt during the playoffs, his name slipped in my mind at the moment. Um, but the, the Knicks certainly have to, to add a couple pieces. And if they can, that won't be enough for them to come out of the East, but maybe make them more competitive if they can get back to the playoffs. Yeah. So first thing I'll say is, you know, obviously <laughs> uh, Julius Randle was historically bad in this year's playoffs, like some of the worst shooting percentages in NBA history, given his volume. And it was unfortunate because RJ Barrett really started coming into his own at the end of the series when it was already over at that point. Uh, They lost by 17 points in game four and 14 in game five. So they got smoked. But in the beginning of the series, I mean, 14 points, 13, seven, they need him to be at least a number three. And he didn't play up to that, you know, expectations just quite yet. He's very young. But at the same time, if you look at someone like John Morant, the guy scored like 40, like 50 points, you know, uh, in his first ever playoff, you know, run too. So when you're that high in the draft, like those are the kinds of expectations that are laid upon you. And Maybe they're not using him right in the offense. That's something they definitely have to figure out. But this is what I think is going to end up happening if they are going in the right direction, is they're just going to end up trading everybody. When you look at the Brooklyn Nets, I mean, for a team like New York, like any team in New York, all you have to do is be decent, and you're going to get a lot of players to go there. Like, that's all you have to do because people want to naturally go there. But they were so bad for so long that nobody wanted to touch them. Like, there's just nothing you could do. Your career would go there to die. And now that it looks more appealing, that's when you can start getting some of the bigger names to come to your team and play there for the rest of your career. And, you know, Brooklyn Nets had that foundation of um, Karis LeVert. They had Jared Allen, like really, you know, borderline all-star type of players. And they traded all of them. And now they have a super team. I think that's the route that New York needs to go down. That may not be what a lot of fans want to hear because they want to kind of build organically. And that's kind of the New York way. But I just don't think they're going to be able to do that with who they have now. I like a lot of their young pieces, but I also think a lot of them would be good in trade packages for better players. Uh, I definitely do not think Julius Randle can be a number one on a team. Uh, you know, aside from the fact that he was so bad in this year's playoffs, I don't think that'll be like how he plays for the rest of his career. I think that's just a wrong expectation. Uh, like <laughs> he'll be better a, a year in. You know, that was I think that was his first taste of the playoffs in general. He's probably just really nervous. 
but I think they'll be okay, and I think they'll have another decent season, and we'll see it in this draft. And so they've been acting pretty well recently. They have a big decision with Mitchell Robinson coming up. I know he's a free agent. Uh, we'll have to see. Like he's never played a fully healthy season. He's just constantly hurt. But he is obviously kind of a game-changing type of center who will garner a lot of interest, regardless. Someone be willing to take on that project and saying, and say, you know, I think our medical staff can keep him under control. Uh, we'll go back to the West one more time, and I believe this happened in the uh, second round. Yep, the Utah Jazz against the Clippers. They're up two nothing. And this was their year. I mean, they were the best team in the regular season by far. They looked unstoppable, and it looked like they were going to keep going right on. I mean, again, this was the year of the small market team. This was the best chance I think they'll ever have to win a championship with this core that they have. Milwaukee, I think, could also be close to that category. Uh, in the 76, I think, also were there, too, where like it felt like this was their time if, they were, if they're ever going to do it because championships are obviously very hard to come by. They don't – it's just – Every finals outside of dynasties come from something happens, a player gets hurt or whatever the case may be. And this was it. Kawhi Leonard got hurt and then they lost. I mean, I don't know how to explain this, but I think that's it for him. I think I think they'll have good regular seasons, but I can never see them going deep in the playoffs again. Really? Uh, I'm curious if, if Mike Conley healthy would have made much of an impact in that series. Um Certainly was a surprise to me. I, I agree with you that I, I think this was the window for Utah to really make that run to the finals. And with Gobert uh, manning the middle, how would that have impacted uh, Giannis's af- effectiveness offensively if they would have met in the finals? Well, we'll never know that. Um, I don't think you're ever completely out of it with Donovan Mitchell. He clearly wasn't 100% healthy in the series either, not using that as an excuse. But I think a, a little adjustments here and there could have Utah back in the conversation uh, for one of the top two seeds and, and making another run at it. I, I still think uh, – I do think they're talented enough and, and well-coached enough to, to add a couple more pieces to, to put them in that position. And I think Donovan Mitchell is that, is that good in combination with Gobert and Ingles and, and, and maybe a healthy Mike Conley. So I do not think the Lakers are going to be the team to beat in the West. I really don't. We'll see what moves they make. But I certainly think the West has opened up a little bit more and we'll see how these guys age over a year. I told you a few weeks ago, I don't expect Kawhi Leonard to be back anytime soon, if at all, this season for the Clippers. So does that completely eliminate them from the title conversation? Maybe, maybe not. We'll see how that transpires. Phoenix certainly will want to be back in the conversation. The West is still very good and very challenging um, for to come out of that conference and represent in the finals. But I do think Utah will be in that conversation, and I do think they're built to win in this short-term window. Uh, we'll just see what moves they make. We'll see if they're able to acquire any draft picks that can come in and make an impact. Uh, but certainly you're going to ask of your core players like Gobert, like Mitchell, uh, like Conley, to improve and find ways where, where they can maximize their effort go back, look at where they fell short against the Clippers and come back ready to compete in 2021-22. They just need a lot more out of Donovan Mitchell for me. Two games here uh, in that Clippers series, which was game three and four, lost by 26 points in game three, 14 in game four. But here's uh, you know Donovan Mitchell's shooting stats, 11 for 24, 9 of 26 in those games. He scored 30 and 37, but that's a really bad sign with those kinds of shooting numbers. He's got to get that under control because – he plays with a team that can score like without him, like when he's out, they're fine. So I think if he were like maybe trust his teammates, even just a tad bit more, 
they can be a whole lot more successful than they are now. That's kind of how I feel about it. And I just don't know if that's in him. I don't know if they can instill that. It's a very loosey-goosey kind of environment in Utah because even Jordan Clarkson seems to go off the deep end quite a bit when they have so much talent offensively, probably more than anyone in the league like on a consistent basis, especially from downtown. But any team that depends on the three-point shot that isn't named the Golden State Warriors in their prime is going to struggle because shooting percentages just go down in the playoffs because games are a lot tighter than they are in the regular season. You, you mentioned uh, offensively Clarkson – Mitchell, Bogdanovich, can they keep him, him around? They certainly have guys that can shoot the ball. But also you've got Gobert, who you can run pick-and-roll action with with his size. And he did not get enough shots in that series against the Clippers around the basket. Uh, so certainly I think the potential is there to retool and, and make another run at it. Uh, but you mentioned Mitchell's shooting percentages. He's got to be better. He has been better. Uh, so we'll, we'll see what Utah, Utah can do and can they keep some of those core pieces around that can score uh, as well from the outside. And, and Clarkson not only can score from the outside, but he can get to the basket also. So we'll see how many of these guys Utah can keep this offseason and, and what kind of run they'll make next year. We'll have to see. One team that probably I would deem had the most disappointing playoffs was Philadelphia. There's really, to me, no reason they could have – they shouldn't have won the championship this year, considering all of the pieces that fell into place where obviously John Bede would have averaged like 45 against Brooklyn if they had gotten there. It was just a complete mismatch for them. Considering their injury situations, I have no doubt that Philadelphia should have. It would have beaten them. But they lose to Atlanta in seven games at home. I mean, there's really no excuse for it. Most of it, uh, the blame goes on Ben Simmons. I agree to that to a certain extent, uh, you know, extent, but... They are a very lackadaisical team. Like, I just don't feel like there's any responsibility placed anywhere. And I'm not sure that's, uh, in, you know, conducive to making really deep runs in the playoffs. It kind of felt like they were just playing it by ear. And that's, and they also hired a coach that also is kind of known for that, Doc Rivers. I don't really know what direction they're going with their franchise. I don't know if Ben Simmons will stick around, but I know they definitely shouldn't have lost to Atlanta, not in this situation. Yeah, Spence, look, there's only one winner and one loser in each series. So a lot of times when a team has high expectations, somebody's got to get the blame and the finger's going to be pointed somewhere. And in this series, it was highly pointed at Ben Simmons. Um, but you make a really good point with Doc Rivers. He's got to take a lot of responsibility and now building a reputation of blowing big leads and in, in late in series. And that's not a reputation you want to carry along, even though this guy's a championship head coach. Certainly... Uh, you can look at the injuries in this series also with Embiid. Uh, Tobias Harris had moments where he was great, but then moments where he was not. You need more consistency out of a guy when your best player is not at full strength. You're looking to be a solid number two scorer, and he wasn't that at all times. They, I think they relied more on Seth Curry to be that guy than Tobias Harris. Well, Tobias Harris needs to step up and be a solid number two if they're going to keep him around and want this team to be a championship team. So you've got some pieces there again. And when Embiid's healthy, he, he's arguably a top three player in the entire league. He's fantastic. He can shoot free throws, shoot from the outside. He's a defensive presence. He does a lot of things really well. So you've got some pieces there in Philadelphia. Doc Rivers has got to look in the mirror and, and figure out, look, this guy was fired from the Clippers. So it's not like um, this guy was a mainstay in the last decade of his career. He's underachieved the last decade of his career. So he's got to figure something out to, to get – 
the most out of himself and the team around him. So we'll see what kind of retooling Philadelphia does, how Ben Simmons comes back in this offseason, if he's even a sixer or what kind of value they get in that trade return. It's going to be really interesting and probably one of the biggest storylines to follow this offseason is what do the Sixers do? And that starts with Ben Simmons and then Doc Rivers. Yeah, I think I, I've come to the conclusion that I just don't think Ben Simmons should be I don't think you can work with him and Joel Embiid. You need a, a non, you know, post per, uh, oriented team for Ben Simmons to work. Like you need to play him at either the four or the a small ball five, like at all times. And I think he can still play the point guard type position at the five. Like positions are kind of meaningless, but what I, I think he can guard most centers in the league. Maybe there's exceptions. And I also think that's the nature of any basketball team where like the year that the Lakers last year beat the heat, Dwight Howard was huge in some series. He didn't play any games in the next one. So you have to have that kind of flexibility no matter what. I think most of the time you want to play him in that small ball five to play with a really fast team. That way he can get all the rebounds. He can still, you know, he's most effective on the fast break and he always will be. And I think he can also develop some of his post game. And obviously that's not a situation that can happen in Philadelphia because Joel Embiid's around and he's going to take up a lot of the paint because the more he stays outside, the worse he is, obviously. And that was pretty... That's been pretty clear throughout his career. And, you know, he likes to shoot the three, but he doesn't he has to play more at the time at the perimeter just simply because Ben Simmons exists. And the fact that Ben Simmons won't shoot is only made worse that he's playing in those guard positions that are so vital in the NBA now in terms of offensive production, where almost all of it you know, comes from the one and two spot, it seems, in today's NBA. Well, yeah. Well, I'll say this, Spence. Also, if you're Philadelphia, I don't think you get too desperate. I don't think you want to just get rid of Ben Simmons to get rid of him. I mean, you're t we're talking about championship windows that are, are very small. So if you're going to move on from Ben Simmons and still be in that conversation, you really have to get good value back from him in return. I know his value may not be the highest coming off this playoff series, but certainly a player that can do a lot on the basketball court and still has a very high ceiling. So you can't just dump him to dump him. You've really got to get maximum value if you can, or you have to try to make this run one more time with Simmons and, and Embiid. So... If you're Daryl Morey, Doc Rivers, you've got to be really strategic this offseason in, in the choices that you make, and you can't be willing just to get rid of Ben Simmons for a couple draft picks and a mediocre uh, front-of-the-line starter. You've really got to get maximum value for Ben Simmons if you're going to make this move. Yeah, and the Athletic has already reported that there is a lot of interest in him, and they're and the 76ers are asking a lot still. Like last offseason, it was for James Harden. I'm not sure they'll get to that level. Right. But I mean, maybe they should have done that while they, when they had the chance. Maybe not. I'm not sure. Uh, but they're still definitely they're going to get something big back if they do get anything. People still know like what he brings to the table in terms of a potential defensive player of the year, a great passer, all of that, like very big intangibles at this point. Uh, I want to talk about the Clippers, but not really in general because I feel like they kind of they exceeded expectations for sure. But all the credit was given to you know playoff P or whatever, but I'd make the argument that he wasn't as good. Like he's still not at the top of my list anywhere. I mean, he had a lot of really bad stinkers here and there. He had a few excellent performances and certainly kind of reminded you of those Pacers days, but overall I feel like he really let his team down a lot. Uh, that's, it's an interesting take. Um, I, I'll, I'll push back a little bit on that. I think Paul George certainly, elevated his play this playoffs it's it's the the best playoffs we've seen him play as a whole in his career in my opinion uh, and he did it without Kawhi Leonard 
um, th- this team was down two nothing in every series and, and found a way to fight back. Uh, so did Paul George miss some free throws down the stretch in the game and, and make some some plays that cost his team? Yeah, he's got to get better. But you can say that uh, about a lot of players. And Spence, we've talked. I, I at least I've talked to you about this theme. There's got to be one winner and one loser in every series. So you've got to blame somebody. And this NBA. Is tough. It is very tough to get to the finals through all of this talent in the league. The list is just very high of elite talent in the NBA. And if you're Paul George and you're in that conversation of a top 10 player, you've got to elevate your game that much more. I mean, I thought George was really good de- defensively and he had, you mentioned his moments, a little inconsistent, but so was Chris Middleton. And this guy is, is an Olympian and looked at as a top player, but he was able to have Giannis to ca- have his back when he wasn't all the way there. Drew Holiday was very inconsistent offensively in the playoffs, but his key defensive plays are the ones that we talk about. But then again, Giannis has his back. So Paul George can't do this by himself. No guy at this point in their career can win a playoff series, much less a title alone. He needed Kawhi Leonard, even though some may argue that that Paul George in the future will be the number one as opposed to Leonard coming off an injury. So I think Paul George certainly showed an elevation in his game, but you got you to show more. It's not enough, Spence. It is not enough just to have a few good games. You've got to be uh, clutch from the free throw line in one and two, three possession games, which he wasn't in certain spots. That did cost them, you could, you could say. Uh, and, and defensively, you've got to turn it up another notch. Uh, in the way Drew Holiday did when he didn't have his offense. Drew Holiday was absolutely consistent defensively for sure. He was consistent defensively and made key game-changing plays on the defensive end. Paul George is capable of that. So he's got to, again, go into the offseason, realize where he can elevate his game, Uh, they've certainly got some some pieces there that are nice, uh, some young pieces. So um, I I like where Paul George is going, but he's got to take it to another level this this next season if the Clippers are going to be in that conversation. Yeah, I just want to read off some of his stats here in that Phoenix series outside of those missed free throws, which everyone kind of knows about. 10 of 26, 10 of 23, 9 of 26, 5 of 20. So to me, that's just that's not what you're yeah, looking for. Yeah, those last two aren't, aren't going to be good enough. No, it's, just, it's not going to get it done. And we'll see. I mean, I, it gave me more confidence. And obviously, I put money on um, the Clippers to make the finals uh, before the playoffs started. It was the day that LeBron suffered his injury. So I hadn't. I liked him a lot. And I think Kawhi can still do that. But I still think they're lacking a leader. They wanted it to be Rondo. But that's just that's not how it works. Like, that's just not going to get it done. That was a very silly trade of them to give. Lou Williams away for Rondo, yeah, who was, was never going to give them production ever. Spence, this is interesting though. Okay, so you, we we talked about the stats for Paul George. We talked about uh, Donovan Mitchell uh, and some guys that really could have shot the ball better um, to to bring their teams to the next level. We we just talked about on the championship team, Drew Holiday and Chris Middleton's inconsistency. If you look at Devin Booker in the finals, he had some great moments, but he had one or two games cool. that weren't so great, along with Chris Paul. So. This goes back to something I said earlier. Is this worth talking about? Uh, maybe adjusting a philosophy when you see these percentages and, and trying to get easier buckets in, in play as opposed to just trying to fire up 20, 30 threes a game, maybe finding ways to get, just get buckets on the board uh, to keep yourself in striking distance down the stretch. Because we know when you come playoff time uh, in the finals and right before some of these games, a lot of the important games are going to come down to two and three possessions. It did with the Clippers against Phoenix. Uh, and the Phoenix was able to come out on top. Phoenix was not able to do that in the finals, and that cost them the championship. Yeah, it, it's actually interesting because we talked about Drew Holiday and Middleton, 
But the one thing that we can say about both of them for sure, outside of their offensive inconsistencies, is both of them showed up in the most important plays of those series mm. to the finals where Paul George and Donna Mitchell did not. I think you can actually, like, bad shooting days are one thing, and they certainly are noticeable. But there is always ways to impact the game in other ways. And I think that they were able to maximize that the most because otherwise when you start, you know, maybe you can shoot a little bit less. Certainly, I think Devin Booker could have in that final series. Uh, he actually had the most uh, bad. He had basically the worst three-point shooting performance in NBA Finals history. I kind of looked up at his volume of over six threes a game. He had the most like really bad games, which is interesting. And also, I just felt like he wasn't there. Like he had a really bad turnover too. So a lot of those mistakes can be mitigated as long as you're staying engaged with the game. So I'm not sure you have to completely change your offensive philosophy for a lot of these, but I do think that you have to be, you know, mindful of what your team needs from you and certainly be situational. I think almost, let's say like 20% of basketball is understanding where you are on the court at any given time in the time and the place where you are. And I think a lot of those guys kind of miss that out. And then, but Chris Middleton, made some huge shots for them. He took over at the end of game, certainly made some shots that Giannis never could have. And then Drew Holiday made probably three defensive plays that changed the entire series. Well, Spence, I also tie in the the, the shot selections to guys trying to do too much. And that leads into big turnovers. I feel like Booker and Chris Paul, some of their turnovers, they were trying to do too much and put it too much on their shoulders, which also leads into this volume of threes. And it led to some big turnovers. Uh, I feel like if there's a philosophy uh, of trying to get that ball moved and get guys in open spaces, it sometimes cuts down on some of those turnovers. For me, uh, some of those key turnovers by Booker and Paul that were in late game situations, I felt like it was guys trying to do too much late in the game as opposed to trust their teammates yeah no and i i want to transition right into that phoenix team which obviously had a 2-0 series lead more 2-0 series leads than i that ever blown in this year's playoffs and i think probably ever, ever we've before. ever seen yeah yeah uh the clippers did it twice in one year uh in one postseason which has never been done and obviously it happened again in the finals which i mean who would have thought that could have happened but obviously it did and this is what i wanted to say about chris paul i don't think i've had a chance to say this on any like official platform he lost my respect completely in this year's playoffs. Not because he lost, not because he had key turnovers in certain spots, but he allowed the Scott Foster, you know, kind of storyline to take over. I mean, he says it's one thing for people to bring it up, right? This is what the response is, though, when when a reporter says, "What do you think about the Scott Foster thing? You've lost eleven times." He probably didn't know that, by the way. I don't think he actually knew that, but when he when he heard, he was like, "Oh yeah, I mean, what are you supposed to do eleven times?" That's not the answer you're supposed to give when you're trying to win a championship. What you're supposed to say is, I don't know. I don't really care. I'm here to win a game. It doesn't really matter who's refing the game. We're going to play as hard. And we're going to play our game plan. That's what you're supposed to say. And I think it I think it affected his team. I think they're just like in their back of their minds. Even if it's just one play or one split second where they put it puts doubt in his uh, team, that's the difference between winning a championship and not. So without him being a professional, he lost himself as a leader at that moment. And I think it affected the rest of his team. I think it affected him too, because the reality is he lost because he had one horrible turnover that lost him. It was a two point game. And then, you know, Drew Holiday stole it from him and a few others down the stretch. So he lost the finals because of his performance, not because of any referee, certainly. Well, you can certainly make that argument. I, I thought Chris Paul in the game's the last four games certainly didn't play to the level that was a championship level. And I go to the closeout game, game six, where uh, both teams really had trouble scoring the first six or seven minutes. Chris Paul had numerous uh, mid-range shots that he typically makes that did not fall. And 
look, if, if, if there's any time to step up and, and really, you know, show your leadership, it's in a closeout game. We, you mentioned the turnover uh, uncharacteristically during the playoffs. In the finals, Paul turned it over more than he did in any other series. And that's just not the right time to make those mistakes. You've really got to be on point, completely focused. You, you can point to a lot of different things, whether it's injury or fatigue or whatever, but there might not be a, another chance the rest of Chris Paul's career uh, to, to raise that Larry O'Brien trophy than there was in this series when you're up two games to nothing. So certainly, uh, if you want to point the finger somewhere, a lot of that is going to be pointed at Chris Paul. I'm sure he's going to have a very long offseason thinking about the opportunities missed in this series and his decision-making, whether he stays in Phoenix or moves on. Uh, I don't think there'll be a better opportunity for him in his entire career to, to, to win a championship. And certainly this is going to haunt him for a very long time because, like you mentioned, Spence, you not only you lost respect for him, there's a lot of people that hold that same sentiment and a lot of people that point the finger that, look, if Chris Paul uh, did not have a key turnover and he was better – uh, in, in the closeout situations that we'd be having a different discussion on, on who the champion is this year. So certainly Chris Paul is going to take a lot of heat on this, but I'm sure uh, as hard as we are and, and the pub, court of public opinion is on Chris Paul, he'll probably be harder on himself than anybody else. Yeah, probably. But, uh, you know, I'm not sure he'll have a lot of thinking to do because he can, he's a, can obviously, he can obviously opt to be a free agent this season. We'll see if he runs it back. I would imagine he would. This was like his healthiest season that he's probably ever had in his career. So and Phoenix is kind of known for having their great medical staff, but a lot of the blame does need to go on Devin Booker too. I mean, he had a lot of really bad performances in there and also he had some great ones, but I also, I never felt like he involved his teammates enough. It was really about him a lot and he made a lot of tough shots, but even those, like I felt like that was kind of uh, Westbrook's biggest, you know, faults throughout his career too, is in his great games, his teammates never really felt like they were also great, you know, next to him where, when he's having a really hot game and then he ends up passing to you at the end of the shot clock, putting you in a really tough situation where you maybe haven't shot for long stretches of time that can just kill you. And they obviously also have a very talented team around him and maybe he needs to be more trustworthy of, of his teammates. And we've talked about that with Donovan Mitchell and, you know, with Paul George too, we went, we kind of went down that list already. And I think he can also have that part of it. I'm not sure. I'm not convinced that Phoenix will ever have this opportunity again, uh, I know they're a very young team, but when you start signing guys like DeAndre Ayton to a max deal, that money gets a lot tighter, and their money just doesn't disseminate the right way. Cameron Payne obviously had a, like a really big playoffs, huge when Chris Paul was out. He's a free agent too. I'm not sure what they're going to do, but how do you feel about their future? Do you think they'll have another chance like this again? Yeah, Spence. Look, uh, man, this this is a tough one for Phoenix because you can you talk about a team up two to nothing. And when you look at the four games the Bucs won in a row, you can certainly point to two of those that were one and two possession games. So when you talk about a Devin Booker uh, having to reflect in the offseason, he's in Tokyo right now in the Olympics, so not a lot of time to reflect now. But you're going to look at one or two decisions you made where you could have got your teammates involved that could have changed the complexion of that series. And DeAndre Ayton rose his stock tremendously during this playoffs. Um, certainly you would have liked to see him more involved in the finals than he was. Some foul trouble had some stuff to do with that, but he, you mentioned the, the contract situation. Cam Johnson, I thought, was excellent in the finals. Uh, I do think that Phoenix, if they can keep this core together and add a piece or two, I think they will be in the discussion with Utah, possibly with Denver, possibly with the Clippers. I, I, I do think with the Lakers getting older, uh, I think – that these teams will still be in that conversation this upcoming 
season and the seasons to come. But we'll have to see how these guys improve. They're going to have to pr- improve dramatically. But I think uh, they're so close in talent. When you talk about a Ja Morant, when you talk about a Dame Lillard, a Devin Booker, a Donovan Mitchell, I think these guys aren't so much better than the next guy. They are right there on that tier uh, of dominant superstars rising. So it's going to talk about, it's going to be the role players that are going to be important factors in how far these teams can go. Your team, the Memphis Grizzlies, I, I thought was tremendously impressive in the playoffs. I think John Morant uh, is a superstar completely on the rise. And the difference between him and some of these other guys, he doesn't necessarily rely on that three-point shot. So when you can get to the basket and get your teammates three-point shots or shots around the basket, I think that's going to be very valuable. So th- it's going to be really tough for any of these teams to get back to the to get to the finals in general. Uh, Phoenix certainly has that taste. Uh, they made a huge improvement from not being a playoff team to getting all the way to the finals, having a 2-0 lead. I like their coach, Monty Williams. Um, but I don't think there's any sure thing in the NBA, at least for the next five years. You mentioned uh, the the Brooklyn team, the Lakers. I think the comp- competition and the parity is, is so impactful throughout the league that it's not going to be a sure thing for anybody. So as we have, as we evaluate the season game by game, month by month, injuries are going to play a role. Team chemistry is going to play a role. So many of the little things that we saw in this playoff is going to determine how far a team can get. So not only are you going to have to train your body to be healthy uh, for an 82 game season in the off season, uh, you're going to have to not only do that, but improve your game and find out ways to elevate uh, your play and the team uh, play of your teammates. No doubt. And uh, I do want to spend some time, you know, a little bit of time talking about the champions, obviously the Milwaukee Bucks. Uh, No one really thought, no, I wouldn't say no one thought they couldn't do it, but certainly they were helped out a few ways here and there, uh, you know, to make that happen. Trey Young going down obviously was really vital for them losing Giannis for a time. Looked like Giannis's knee exploded on that uh, injury. I have no idea how he didn't tear every single muscle in his knee, but look, it, it didn't happen. And he came back and he was, unreal like legendary, legendary performances i mean 50 points obviously in the closeout game but every single game that it was one of the best final performances i think i've ever seen without a doubt and obviously and ended with the best free throw shooting performance of his uh you know of the season regular season and playoffs included i i don't hmm, i just don't know if this is if this team can get it done in any regular situation it felt like there were a lot of special circumstances that got them there look they got it done so there's not no one can ever take that away from them I'm just not so eager to think that this is like Giannis is going to start taking over the league, uh, you know, just now. Like this is it's over now. Like he's going to be the next LeBron to go to the finals every single year. I'm not so sure about that, but we'll have to see unless Giannis just keeps getting better and better. And obviously he's like 26 years old. So I'm not saying that he'll never win another championship again. I'm just not sure they're going to start dominating everybody. Well, I, I think we may be both in agreement if he plays even close to how we played in the finals consistently sure. throughout the playoffs. I think Milwaukee will be right there in that discussion with Brooklyn uh, to represent the Eastern Conference in the finals. Now, that's the question. Will that consistency be able to play out not only through a regular season, but through a postseason and healthy? I think it could, it could possibly go either way. I think the Bucks as a whole and Giannis can look the fact that we've won one title and have the confidence we can do this and it maybe elevates the play of everybody else. I personally think uh, that Drew Holiday did not have his best finals no. or playoffs. I think the room for him 
is there. I think this guy is a fantastic player. I think it just didn't fall for him in the playoffs. I think it will fall for him down the road. Drew Holiday is a fantastic player, not only defensively, but he is a really good offensive player also. He can shoot the basketball and he can score, and he's very strong. So I expect Drew Holiday to be much better next year, which is going to be huge. Chris Middleton, of course, can be more consistent. You didn't have Dante DiVincenzo during these whole playoffs. So look, Milwaukee, if healthy, they're going to be right there in the conversation. We'll see what happens with Bobby Portis, and there's a couple other guys they've got to figure out if they're going to keep around. But I personally think that winning at this level, holding up that trophy, gives guys confidence. Now, are they going to put in that same work to get themselves back to that level? I think a team like Milwaukee will do that. You're talking about a small market team, a guy, a team that nobody thought can do it. Uh, why not have that motivation to get back and do it again? You're in Milwaukee. Uh, so I personally think this is going to be elevation for the Milwaukee Bucks, and I think they're going to be better possibly next year than they were this year. And, and certainly if Giannis can play anywhere close to how he played in the, in the finals and even just shoot 70% from the free throw line, they're going to be close uh, to unstoppable because Giannis, is, I think he's going to elevate his play defensively. I think he's going to become a decision, better decision maker. And of course, he's going to work on that mid-range jump shot during the offseason. So to me, he's only going to get better. And what he did in the finals, to me, elevated him to another level. Uh, because the play we saw in game six, that closeout game, is unmatchable by anybody in the league from what he can do offensively and defensively. Possibly you can put Kevin Durant in that discussion offensively, but Giannis's diversity and his length and his athleticism to me is unmatched. And to go 17 of 19 from the line, score 50 with what some would say at ease uh, is almost unmatchable. Durant can do it. Curry can do it. But these guys have got to shoot a bunch of threes to do that, and they've got to be on fire. For what Giannis did in that closeout game, <laughs> he game feels six, like he can do it anytime. <laughs> yeah, is unmatched. The guy you can't guard him one on one, and he's only going to get better. Spence, he's going to work on that ball handling. He's going to work on his post moves. Uh, for me, this could be a, a really big turning point in Giannis's career, and maybe for the franchise of, of Milwaukee. Yeah, it, it's so crazy though to think about. Is uh, Kevin Durant was an inch away from ending their playoff run. Wow. Yeah. I, mean, I don't know how long that narrative will persist because those kind of things just get forgotten throughout history. And obviously they should be because it didn't happen. Right. So it's weird to think about what if, but I mean, how different would this team be if Kevin Durant was uh, like an inch farther back? I mean, yeah, you probably have a fired Mike Budenholzer and you'd be talking in the front office. Well, what do we need to do to retool? So instead of keeping guys like holiday and Portis, for sure, there would be a lot of changes. So because, and we, I, I believe we talked about that on, on the Rest Stop podcast on Twitter. We talked about if Kevin Durant wore a size twelve as opposed to a size thirteen, it'd be a totally different conversation. And that's how close that series was. It was an inch away from Brooklyn moving on, and, and instead we're having a discussion about uh, where Giannis ranks historically in the finals because he was that kind of player after that series. So th that is how close. The NBA is, yeah. and you don't always think about it when you're in the middle of discussing it because there's a few games that are 20, 15-point victories. But when you really come down to it in key moments, there's one or two possessions that change entire series. Uh, there's seven-game <laughs> series. Yeah, yeah, it changes franchises. It changes careers, like all of those things. It's The NBA is a – we always say like golf is a game of like inches, but basketball certainly is too, which is crazy to think about. But uh, – a lot of those games do come down to it. It's so easy. Like basketball games, it's the nature of them. Some of them are blowouts and there's nothing you can do about it. But when it gets down to the nitty gritty, it really does come down to those few decisions. Absolutely. I did. We did talk about uh, Brooklyn. I want to mention them real quick. 
what do you what do you really think about them you know moving forward i mean they were so close to going this far with a pretty raggedy team in my opinion uh blake griffin obviously played pretty well to a certain extent as good as he can at this point in his career uh but you know they they did all this without uh with an injured uh you know Kyrie Irving and then James Harden wasn't even really expected to come back at that point so it feels like once they come back healthy like they're unstoppable like I have no doubt a fully healthy Brooklyn team would have swept the Phoenix Suns at that point like it felt like they were going to be that good you think they're just going to be able to run it back next year and make it happen can they even stay healthy enough to have a full season like that that's the key health it's going to come down to 100% health because uh, for me, we, we definitely scrutinized Kyrie Irving a lot throughout the season because he was in the headlines for a lot of the wrong reasons. But come playoff time, we didn't hear anything. He was on the court. He was, he was playing. Go. He was ready to go, and he played great until he got injured. Uh, and that completely changed the complexion of the series. Harden wasn't 100%. So, and look, Durant's coming off an Achilles, and he not only played and elevated and played tons of minutes in the playoffs, but he's all, already traveled and being a, a key part in USA basketball. So there's not going to be much of an offseason for Kevin Durant, which is going to be interesting to see how they monitor his minutes going into next season. It's 100% spent going to come down to the health of the three big stars on Brooklyn. If they can stay healthy throughout the playoffs, certainly to me they're the favorite to go to the finals and win it. And if they can't stay healthy, it's anybody's game. Uh, but that, that even if they don't stay healthy, if one of them stays healthy, uh, Kevin Durant, they still have a chance. Because we saw, like we just discussed, they were only an inch away from eliminating Milwaukee in that series. So I think Durant uh, is the certainly the number one key uh, as far as health. You can debate Harden or, or Irving as far as the number two who's more important health-wise. Um, but if they can all three stay healthy and contribute in the playoffs, they'll certainly be right there. I'm going to go down to wrap this up over uh, the next year's uh, NBA Finals odds. And I want you to tell me what you think the most value is right now. Because uh, who knows who's going to win the championship, honestly. And I feel like most people who bet will put bets on different teams throughout the season for the most part. So where do you think the value is right now? Because because obviously they can change quite quickly. Brooklyn is plus 200. The Lakers are plus 450. Milwaukee plus 900. The Golden State Warriors, they have the fourth best odds at plus 1,300. The Utah Jazz plus 1,400. The Phoenix Suns, interestingly enough, are plus 1,500. So plus 100 worse, you can say, than the Jazz. And I'll do two more teams. The Clippers plus 1,600. And the Philadelphia 76ers plus 1,600. Yeah, uh, I'm a big fan of Golden State. I, I think they're going to be really solid next year and be in that conversation. But as far as value goes, it's not there at, at the number that you gave the fourth favorite. Um, but the two two that stuck out to me were Milwaukee and Philadelphia. When you talk about value, I think Milwaukee at nine to one is certainly something to to splash a, a few bucks on. And Philadelphia, you talked about their ceiling if they can come back healthy, but also that it's going to be key to see what happens with Ben Simmons. So I would hold off on the Philadelphia, but certainly I think at nine to one, there's a lot of value in Milwaukee there. Yeah, I agree. And I'll say the Clippers at plus 1600. I think the only reason that number is where it's at because it dropped a lot is because of Kawhi Leonard's uncertainty. Uh, but if even if it's healthy just for the playoffs and comes back, there's no reason they wouldn't be like one of the favorites going into the playoffs with him healthy, considering, uh, you know, Paul George really elevated his game. I think he's much better suited as a number two. And I think that, you know, that experience last year would definitely help him be a better number two with Kawhi back. Cause we know Kawhi can legitimately just win you championships because he has done it before. 
But uh, yeah, uh, that is going to do it for today's episode. Thanks for uh, you know joining the show. It was really fun uh, talking about the NBA playoffs. And you know, as the football season approaches, obviously, we'll probably get together again to do some previews for that. Yeah, always great to be uh, back with you, Spence. I appreciate it. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, th- this is going to do it for today's episode of the Delivering Sports Show. And I'll see you guys next time.